Hello and welcome to another episode of Biomass. We're on episode 146, uh, which incidentally is the number of years since Chicago has not had a full inch of snowfall during the months of January and February. So Zell has been staying dry, so to speak, in, in the hometown of Chicago. But uh, yeah. It's been really, really warm. It's really weird. We had I, I had to turn on the air conditioner for a couple days uh, last month. It was It was really, really strange. Yeah, I mean, like I told you before the show, I, I used to live in Minnesota, and the idea of it not snowing in the first two months of the year is, is absurd, so that's that's pretty crazy stuff. But uh, let's go into some shout-outs, or sorry, introductions, uh, starting at the top list with Zell. Um, I don't have my shout-out ready, so I guess I'm just hey, going to do an... I, I just, just do don't... an intro. I'll, we'll I'll give just some do, time. I'll just do an introduction, I think. So I'll, um, I'll give you a full show to figure it out. I, I'm Soraya Zell. Um, I'm a co-host here on the show. Um, we've been uh, I've been here the whole time. Um, I play lots of video games, um, and uh, that's that's really it. All right, and Bait? Uh, what's up, everybody? My name is Bait, and I kind of play lots of video games. What are you playing lately? We know what else to play. What are you playing? Right now I'm playing um, Sleeping Dogs, which is the most fantastic game ever if you like uh, martial arts and uh, GTA clones. It's great. Um, wow. And on the side, I am getting together with friends in the evening and playing some Battlefield 1. I was I was commenting on that a little bit uh, a couple of days ago how good that game looks. I'm I'm always tempted to get it, but not sure if I actually want to put the time into it. So I'm I'm always kind of keep my eye on on battle. Maybe if the price goes down, I might jump on it. But uh, it, it looks just, pretty solid. Yeah, no, it, it is. It just takes me me personally. It takes for whatever reason so long to load into any conquest game, which is really annoying. But other than that, yeah, it's great. Cool. All right, Libby, introduction. Hello. <laughs> Okay, I know what button I'm pressing today. Um, <laughs> I am uh, Libby. I do blogging. Uh, play Final Fantasy right now, and at the moment, Pandemic also. So one of those things. Old school, number two, I think. Have you killed Madagascar yet? No, I have not. Those bastards! They're so they're so twitchy. Anyone sees I've done in the it world? Once. I have done it once, but since I think it was like five years ago, and I could I can't do it again. <laughs> All right. Uh, and Jay, introduction? Yeah. Uh, my name's Jay. I'm one of the uh, original purveyors of the Biomass Media Empire. I do play some games, watch some movies, uh, occasionally type some some hum- semi-humorous things. Kind of depends on uh, what your version of humor is, though. Uh, stuff I've been kind of doing l- lately slash recently. So I dug into the Ghost Recon Wildlands. We talked about that last week. Um, I did a little bit of thinking on that. I got a couple more thoughts about that uh, for later in the show. Uh, and I've also been working over uh, Torment, Tides of Numenera, which we'll have an initial review on the show later. All right, sounds good. And I'm Pokey Draven. I help host the show. I write for the blog, same as usual. I'm uh, currently playing Final Fantasy XIV with Livy and some other friends. And uh, I might have had a, a small change of heart regarding Ghost Recon Wildlands as well. So we'll, we'll kind of touch on that later. So. Uh, moving along, we got some some new news for for film and stuff. So, Pirates of the Caribbean Five trailer came out. It looks pretty awesome. I I uh, I like that. Uh, if you if you've seen it yet, it actually shows a young Jack Sparrow in it. And I have to say, the casting on that was actually pretty solid. I was like, like wow, was, it actually looks like the guy. Was that casting or was that? Uh, Disney's trademark CGI. CGI. I, you know, you have to ask sometimes because it really does look just like him. Like it, it's 
surprisingly good. And if it's, you know, just like a short cameo in the film, which it probably is, it very well could be CGI. Who, who, who knows now? But yeah, that one looks that one looks pretty solid. I, I was kind of like, eh, you know, well, it, it's another Pirates movie, yay. But uh, it, this this one looks a... a the last cool one. Get some, some backstory. In the last one, they have to say the final yeah. adventure begins. This this could be the end of it. I mean, now, mind you, when money's involved, you know, the, the enough money can make anything not the last one. But... Um, you know, it, it seemed like it was a pretty confident moment for them to say that in the trailer that this is this is the final adventure, and so my guess is uh, that Johnny Depp has probably finally just said, "You know what? I'm done. We're done. This is done. Get over it. Go home." Yeah, and, and you know, it's it's a pretty beloved series, and I hate to see them drive it into the ground because they decide to keep moving movies about it. You know, just you need to stop. <laughs> you know, so it, it might be a good time to stop, but it does have some pretty funny moments in the trailer, and it's it's probably definitely worth checking out and. Uh, and seeing what's going on with that. So uh, it looks like it's coming up Memorial Day, which is May 19th. Uh, so that's it's still a couple months off, but uh, it, it should be good to look forward to. Uh, another film that is coming out is uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, new trailer. Uh, pretty hilarious stuff, as usual. I, I do like to see that they haven't lost their sense of style with how they, they do everything. And this uh, most recent trailer is, you know, it's same kind of humor. Really good stuff. I, I really liked it. You guys saw it, right? The the trailer? Oh, yeah. Like a little... Uh, Groot, uh, Groot, Groot, the beginning there with the the speaker was pretty hilarious. The, well, I I generally thought that your uh, that your assessment there that they've pretty much picked up right where they left off is is pretty accurate. But they didn't do it in a, uh, a you, you know like a, a plasticky kind of way. It's it's actually a very natural sort of feel to it. As much as you can say that trailers feel, they definitely retained like the chemistry from the first movie. Uh, and, and appear to have built on it. So I'm kind of interested to see how it's going to work out. Yeah, it's it's going to be a good one, hopefully, and uh, I do look forward to that one. And so that's coming out uh, again in May, so that's coming out May 5th, so a few months away. But uh, looking forward to that, and uh, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Uh, no, oh, go ahead. No, I was just, I was just thinking, like, the, the number of characters that they've, uh, like, layered on over that, like, that'll... Because I mean, they don't really... They don't do a lot of killing in there. I mean, there's a lot of killing and death in it, but you don't like uh, shwack a lot of, like you're not going to Game of Thrones on people. So they're definitely adding a, a big layer of the cosmic characters uh, from the Marvel universe into Guardians of the Galaxy with some of the additions that you're going to see in the movie. Uh, what I'm very keen to see is how does this all continue to build to the Infinity Wars, uh, which in theory should be like capstone event for the Marvel MCU. Yeah, I mean, that's true. And Infinity Wars is, they, they've got trailers out for that, too. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's all kind of coming together. It would be nice to see them actually do a proper tie-in and, and see how that all works out. Because, you know, the, they've done a pretty good job with the Extended Universe so far. And it'd be good to kind of see, you know, those surprise linkages where you're like, oh, okay, that, that's pretty cool. I get that reference to that, that character and stuff like that. So, that should be cool to see how they uh, they work that one on out. Yep. Nah, I totally agree with you on that one. I, I, they're, they're definitely... Uh... They're definitely a little bit more synchronized than uh, the DC movie universe, but uh, we'll see. I mean, I, I expect good things out of the movie, no matter what. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, Chris Pratt can pretty much make any film recently that it works out pretty well. Even the Jurassic World was, was pretty good considering. So I mean, he was the best part of the movie, but uh, you know, it's, it's always a pleasure to see him doing his thing. Yeah, now, yeah, I'll buy that. Uh, another film that uh, I saw recently, which some of you might have, and Olivia did, uh, with some actors doing their thing extremely well, was uh, 
Logan. But uh, before we get to that part, I have to say, I know you've all seen this part, but they also played it as a preview um, uh, for Logan was the tr- the teaser for Deadpool 2, uh, which was, you know, again, pretty I'm much picking up where I left off. <laughs> <laughs> just like I'm like okay this is there and there's his butt all right we've got <laughs> we've got Deadpool's ass in the first you know, 30 seconds of the trailer um I mean, well, obviously what what'd you guys think of that I thought it was pretty hilarious loved it dude I really enjoyed the the knock at the whole uh changing in the phone booth uh gig it was uh it was quite good it, it, when Stan Lee is in your teaser trailer as like a a, a key element you know it's a good thing <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. Well, now, was he in the theatrical version of that? Because I don't I heard he think was, so. I heard he I was sh- not. And I think it's because okay. in the he drops the f bomb. I think in the the teaser, and they didn't want to put that in the theatrical version. Perhaps I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, he, it was it was definitely different. There's a few cuts that were a little, a little different. I think the uh, also when he makes the phone call in the phone booth, that is also not a theatrical version. So it is That's it's true. a little bit shorter. Well, so, the other, yeah, the other thing is like in the end, like when it gets, when it kind of fades to black and he's doing his uh, the faux Aussie accent, that's not in the movie version. Yeah, no, it's uh, <laughs> it was it was pretty good though. And they they put this in the front instead of the back so that it would uh, not mess with the tone of the movie. If I'm correct, right? That, that is absolutely correct. Yeah, I, it would it would not make sense to put it at the end. So it was it was a good intro. Um, Particularly since if you're watching the the Deadpool thing and, and while he's changing the phone booth, you can actually see on the theater um, board behind him, behind the phone phone booth, it is advertising Logan for a movie that's currently playing. So it is kind of a you know this is what you're seeing before you go into the theater, so to speak. So I, I thought that was pretty clever. A visual tug of war between his butt and uh, what's going around. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, yeah. But yeah, so so Deadpool two. Um, obviously, we, we've known for a while that this is coming out. Uh, there, there's no release date. Um, it's coming out not soon enough, as the trailer implies. But uh, uh, looking forward to that one as well, of course. Uh, so this should be good. But random, so, de- random Deadpool inject. Uh, have you guys seen the cast list for who they're looking at for uh, Cable? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty. It's it's pretty open ended. It's uh, they've got. Uh, uh, Stephen Lang, uh, he's he was one of the original favorites, I guess. He's b- big crowdfunding guy uh, for it. And then you also had uh, some pretty interesting choices. Uh, Pierce Brosnan, which I put no credence into. Russell Crowe's come out of nowhere, said he wants to get a get a piece of the action. Uh, Kevin Nash, the wrestler, uh, has has said that he would like to do it, uh, as well as. Uh, it looks like they've actually done a screen test for. He's a guy from Stranger Things. He's like the sheriff on Stranger Things. I, I can't think. I cannot picture the. I can't. I can't think of the guy's name. I can picture him very clearly. Hold on. Um, David Harbor. Yeah, I think it's a big, big, tall, blonde dude. Mm-hmm. So there's there there's a variety of actually pretty decent actors that are vying for the. Uh, I, I do not count Kevin Nash in that group, although he's a pretty funny guy. Um, there's a pretty serious group of folks vying for the role of Cable in that movie. So I'm kind of interested to see how this turns out. Yeah, I mean, that's that's going to be pretty good to see going forward. Like, especially, you know, kind of getting your head around the, the full cast of, of all the characters that are going to be in there since, obviously, probably a bit more budget to work with this time. It's just going to be good to see who they can actually bring in and, and get to do all these parts. So it's, it's going to be good to see. All right, so are you? So now we can segue, just like resegue back onto the discussion yeah, about Logan. Yeah. So you're, you're, that's what you're gonna you're gonna lead with Logan. So before you do that, or at least 
while you're doing that, I'm going to turn some Johnny Ca- Cash up, drink some scotch, oh. bang my hand in the in the fucking door eight or eight or nine times to really get the pain level up, and then think about mm-hmm. like a dog I lost when I was a kid. So go, go ahead. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, with lot, lots of suffering. Um, <laughs> it's just kind of the tone of the film. Um, and now obviously on the show we don't do spoilers uh, until two weeks after the, the movie comes out. So probably next week will be our our spoiler edition of it. So so you can rest assured I'm not going to spoil anything here. But I did see Logan. Um, Livy wouldn't saw it with me. Uh, it sounds like you saw it as well, Jay. I ha- I have, and uh, it was. I, I will I will I will say this. That was probably that was definitely the best quote unquote superhero movie that I've seen, and that was definitely one of the better movies movie movies that I have seen in quite some time is phenomenal acting. I was incredibly impressed with the actors, particularly with the, I, I don't have the actress's name, but the girl, the, the actress who plays uh, Laura, the, the girl from the trailer, um, for those of you who haven't seen the film yet, I was shocked by how good she was. We're a character who doesn't speak much. Um, her ability to, you know, show emotion and kind of what she's thinking through her facial features, facial expressions was absolutely fantastic. I was very impressed with everything she was doing in that film. And of course, Hugh Jackman and Patrick Stewart were phenomenal as well. But it just those those main three were particularly like, like, wow, they just nailed it on pretty much every front. I was very, very impressed with it. Yeah, well, the her performance actually kind of reminded me in a, in a weird way of uh of a movie that I'd seen a, a really, really long time ago. There's a movie called Soldier that had, um, oh my God, I'm totally drawing a blank. Plays, he plays uh, Star-Lord's dad, Ego Living Planet. He's uh, Wyatt Earp. God help, for the love of God, help me out with this. Yeah, one second, one second. Oh, the guy from Wyatt Earp. Um, Kurt Russell? Yes, Kurt Russell. So he, he was in a movie called Soldier. This was like years ago. Believe it or not, it's actually set in the same world as Blade Runner. Uh, so there's a lot of Easter eggs with Blade Runner in it. But he basically played a, a soldier like the, the whole premise was, you know, like scooped up a bunch of kids like uh, like abandoned you know, infants, raised them from inf- the infant level all the way up to adulthood to be uh, like a you know, kind of your classic government super soldier program. So they don't really speak to each other. They were not really allowed to speak very much other than like monosyllabic exchanges. So everything was done with facial expression and like body language. I, it was it was a really interesting kind of kind of take and, and kind of a you know a decent science sci-fi action thing, but it was really notable was uh, Kurt Russell's performance in it because he literally he had like seven lines in the whole movie. Uh, Daphne Keene's uh, that's her name, Daphne Keene. Her performance as Laura Kinney uh, X twenty three was very reminiscent of what I saw Kurt Russell do in that movie. It was phenomenal. Yeah, I was just I was blown away the whole time, especially with just the acting and the way they did the action with her, because that girl is is a badass. I mean, that was always like, holy crap! Like, um, you know, just it was extremely well done. Um, and like I said, the other actors were were fantastic. I can see what what Patrick Stewart was talking about, kind of that quote we discussed last week, um, kind of him talking about how his performance for. Um, Professor Xavier was, this is how he wanted to end it. And it really, it really is true. Like he really nailed it in the emotional level, just kind of bringing everything kind of full circle into, you know, this is what the character as a whole, um, you know, means to him. And you can really see that come out in the performance. I was incredibly impressed with that. Uh, same with Hugh Jackman playing Wolverine, just same deal. Like it was just, the whole thing was just breathtaking. Yeah, that was, uh, that was, I, it, it's one of those where if you kind of took, if you stripped away 
uh, you know, sort of the fantastical, you know, the science fiction-y type elements of it. And you watch some of the character pieces, particularly the interaction when you had Patrick Stewart, Hugh Jackman, and Daphne Keene all like uh, all together in different scenes, either in you know in the car or the dinner table, stuff like that. Those were in just incredibly well acted, emotive movie scenes that you, that could have been in almost any movie, uh, but but it was. They were quite good. They were very, very good. And a lot of people, frankly, they, they kind of underestimate Hugh Jackman's acting abilities. He's actually a pretty renowned stage actor, too. He does a lot of stuff uh, on Broadway and off Broadway. In fact, that's actually how he got started. Uh, I remember when he first got cast as Wolverine, people were like, that's the dude that was in that was starring in Phantom of the Opera at the time. Like, literally, he was the lead of Phantom of the Opera when he got cast as, as Wolverine. So I think a lot of people kind of can maybe uh you know tight you know almost typecast him or kind of have a veneer of like ah well he's just like an action movie guy big buff dude no he's actually got some pretty decent acting chops and frankly patrick stewart he has been a a classically trained shakespearean actor for many decades and has practiced that quite a bit and that's actually one of the reasons that he brought that a certain level of gravitas to like his depictions of Jean-Luc Picard in the, you know, in the Star Trek new generation series and, and eventually as professor X. So there's, there was a lot of uh, acting experience floating around with those two guys alone. And I, I've never seen Daphne Keene in anything else. I have no idea what, what else she's been in, but she was pretty good. And, and I really do hope they feature her in future movies. Yeah, and you actually raise a pretty good point that I, I didn't really think about until now with the removing the fantastical nature from the film and that I, I really did feel like the mutant superpowers, while obviously were part of the plot because it's X-Men, they really were not at all the main focus. You actually didn't see a lot of it for the most part aside from the action scenes, and, and that was actually probably the minority of the parts that actually really mattered, I think, in the film. And a lot of it was just straight-up character interactions and and dialogue and, and that sort of thing. And that was really kind of the, the most important part of the film. And it, it kind of drifted away from that that fantastical elements you talked about. And I think that, that really speaks to the fact that it was just acted so well. You can take an X-Men movie and not focus on the mutants, and it's still a really, really good X-Men movie. So, uh, again, props to the acting for that. But yeah, so I, I think that's, you know, uh, for me, absolutely go and see it. I, I think it's it's absolutely worth your time. Again, like like Jason, I would agree. It, it's probably the, the best superhero movie I've seen in a very long time, if, if not the best, you know, ever. And as far as just a movie by itself, it's it's absolutely fantastic. So definitely worth your time. I would go and check that out. Um, for everyone here who hasn't seen it, <clears throat> Zell and Bait, uh, see it this week so we can actually talk about it a little more in depth. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm actually going to see it tomorrow. I'm going to cool. see it sometime this week. Yeah, definitely You're worth it. Go, go check it out. So we'll we'll cover uh, a more spoilerific version of that uh, next week, but I just want to talk a bit about it just to, to make sure everyone does go and see it because it is an extremely good movie. Uh, so moving along here, now we've got a lot of changes, or a lot of news rather, for, for things that are coming particularly for, for VR, we'll touch on that first. Um, some price changes, new, new things coming out. So one major thing that uh, that is coming out is those, uh, we've talked a bit, a bit about them in the past with the deluxe audio straps and some of the uh, the new tracking devices for the HTC Vive. Uh, and so, you know, Zell is, is kind of our resident uh, Vive expert since he actually owns one. So I'm going to let him talk a bit about that for a second um, with those new products coming out and, and when they're coming out and whatnot. So Zell, take it away. 
I'm trying to buy these tickets. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, so uh, the deluxe audio strap has, you know, your built-in headphones. It's supposed to let you uh, move the headset away from your face without uh, taking everything off. And um, it's supposed to uh, be only a hundred bucks, which isn't is, you know, it's expensive, but it's not too surprising given that it's an accessory for an eight hundred dollar um, headset. And uh, it is going to be open for pre-order on May second, and it will ship in June. Um, I will definitely be buying that as soon as I can, um, because it sounds like it deals with a lot of the issues that I've had trying to use the dang thing, um, and anything that makes it easier and less stressful to uh, set up the VR headset is better. Um, and then the second thing is that the Vive Tracker, which is the little thing that you can clip onto accessories to make them um, be detectable in a VR space, um, is also going to be $99, and uh, it is going to come out actually much sooner to developers only on March 27th, and consumers at a later date, presumably after the, someone has developed at least like, you know, one or two games that actually use it. Um, so that's those are, those are the Vive accessory prices and dates that we have. And then the other thing that uh, was particularly notable is uh, Oculus has actually been making some uh, price changes as well. Um, one of the, the big highlight differences between the Vive and the Oculus Rift was that the Oculus Rift um, was $600 and the Vive was $800, but then the Oculus did not include the touch controllers, which um, you know were a couple hundred extra dollars. So you kind of ended up at this $800 price point for both of them if you wanted to do all of your... Um, room scale stuff where your hands are detected in the games and stuff like that. Um, but uh, it looks like Oculus Rift is uh, dropping its price to $600, including the touch controllers. They're, um, I guess they're doing like where the headset is going from $600 to $500, and then the uh, touch controllers going from $200 to $100. So you can get them together for $600, which is their original price. Um, and obviously, if you need either or, there is a, there's a price drop in general for each. And, and this is actually a pretty a pretty interesting move for for Oculus because it does kind of change the the scape of you know the the quality versus price that we've seen so far where you had the PSVR which was four hundred then Oculus was six hundred then uh, the Vive was was eight hundred but now this has actually brought the uh, the Oculus down much closer to the level of the PlayStation VR it's only a hundred dollars more for the headset and the hand controllers are probably about the same price as compared to the uh, PlayStation Move controllers, which I imagine the Oculus ones are probably a bit more accurate since the Move controllers are, are a bit antiquated now. They're, they're several years old, so they aren't quite up to par with, with the, the most current technology. So it's this this could be a bit more of a contender for uh, for supremacy and kind of the, the cheap end, um, or at least the, the least expensive end of, of the uh the VR headsets, you know, comparing the Oculus versus the PlayStation. I mean, I still think they're very much uh, up a creek in terms of they've got that, you know, that lawsuit going on. I think um, Vive has a much better set of exclusive games, some of which will, uh, one of which we'll talk about next. Um, but, uh, or at least I think it was exclusive. I have to double check. But uh, yeah, I mean, I Vive is still, I think, kind of where it is, and I think that there was no way that Oculus was going to compete at the same price point, which is really where they were competing at. Yeah, I mean, this this comes at probably a good time for them because it is going to be positive press, um, showing that price dropping by by pretty considerable margin uh, for kind of the whole experience. And, and let's be honest, if if you're buying a VR headset, you're going to buy the hand controllers. So, you know, trying to compare the Oculus to the Vive, which 
ultimately came out to the same price at $800 total. Uh, they just they couldn't really compete with the, the spec difference there. So this this does make them competitive, I think. Um, it, it does kind of shift a more positive light on the product. Uh, they, they did cite that, that component prices have gone down, which is why they're able to lower the price of a lot of the stuff. And, and this is going to be probably good for them in, in the long run, um, assuming everything goes well with, like you said, the lawsuit, and, and that doesn't, you know, mess them up too badly so you know if if you do have a vr ready pc and you are considering getting a vr headset but don't particularly want to you know drop 800 you can now drop 600 uh to get kind of a full oculus set which is which is pretty solid um that being said there are some new games coming out well a few that we've talked about in the past so uh, the ones i'll mention is the star trek bridge crew uh, which is coming out yeah. on may 30th it is uh it is actually it is not exclusive it is available for the oculus rift as well and uh uh yeah and the playstation vr okay so this is this is all all three major premium vr platforms um bridge crew i guess got delayed a couple times i think at the beginning it was supposed to be in early march um and now it is actually i guess it has gotten pushed again out to uh may 30th um which i i thought was coming at the end of the month but i guess they've changed that again um because i just clicked the link and now it says may but uh yeah so this is uh this is really exciting for me because it is a it is a vr game where you get to you know have multiplayer and you get to be at the different crew crew positions on the ship i guess one of the big things that they're adding is that the um the current uh you know main advertised bit of the game is uh to live in the new movie universe of the of the newer games and uh or the newer movies and they're adding the original series uh bridge and stuff like that so um they're gonna put some some classic stuff in here too and, and that's one of the big reasons for the delay i guess yeah, I mean, it looks it looks pretty solid. I mean, I, I obviously don't own a headset, but I, I would like to see how this this does play out in terms of gameplay and whatnot. I, I imagine it, it probably is going to support or at least require those the touch controllers so you can actually you know manipulate the controls of the panel and, and and play your bit on 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 the ship at the station you're at. Now, the the kind of neat part is that it sounds like they've got a campaign mode where there's a series of story missions. I'm, I'm not sure if they're necessarily linked to each other but it is a, a story story so to speak uh, of kind of pre-scripted stuff but there's also they're going to be adding a uh it's kind of an ongoing voyage system i think they call it which is more of a procedurally generated uh randomized system so you can kind of have you know continued content beyond what you uh get just from the the pre-scripted stuff which is actually pretty cool yeah and they're saying there should be like 40 hours of gameplay out of this which for a vr game is a heck of a lot of game because you know you really don't want to sit there for days on end and and with your VR headset on. So that's going to last a long time. Yeah, and, and something you brought up earlier, which which I actually remember it being an exclusive initially as well, but I think the market is kind of realizing that if you're going to put the money into the production of a game that is for a peripheral which not a lot of people own, it is not cost-effective to try to make exclusives for a particular headset for things that are effectively all the same thing. Um, and I think we'll, we'll probably see moving forward, you really won't see a lot of exclusive contracts for VR games. I think it's going to be pretty much, in most I, cases, I, all of them, because it, it's not worth it further limiting your player base to a particular headset in a market that's already kind of limited. I don't know. I mean, with, you know, one of the big announcements recently was that, you know, Valve is working on three different games and I, I that are supposed to be like not just little gimmicky games but like full titles you kind of have to think that i mean they haven't said explicitly but it'd be really weird if uh you know if valve was publishing to 
out, you know, not Steam VR and and not the Vive, you know, as, as well, an exclusive thing. I'd be I'd be kind of shocked if they they really went full multi platform. For for Valve, sure, because they're going to push their own product. But I think for for your average developer who's used to being able to market, I mean, you already see with just normal consoles, you you get a lot of cross cross platform at least uh, you know multi platform releases. Um, for Valve, obviously, they're they're going to push the Oculus because that's their or sorry the the V because that's their thing. But um, I think in most cases you're, you're gonna it's gonna be rare to see a lot of exclusive contracts unless you know you start getting a lot of you know they get big bonuses for being exclusive and it has to be worth the developers you know while to actually do that. Um, but I think even as like I said as a market as a whole, I just don't see it going that direction. So I mean that that's a good thing. Uh, I think that it it I mean uh, Valkyrie obviously did that and did a really good job with that and uh, making it all cross play and and that worked out pretty well. So you know I, I think that's that's probably for the best. I, I I think exclusives are are kind of dumb this day and age, especially as the architecture for uh, PC and even consoles approaches a very similar model. Um, you know, it, it makes sense to have it be multi-platform. I mean, I think I think the biggest thing is that with so few consoles out there, um, you may not you may not feel like you can get enough sales selling to everybody to support the development and they some of these exclusives maybe are sp- companies paying so much to try and get things on their platform that they end up making more for that exclusivity that they than they'd make on sales at all and i have a feeling that's a lot of what you know ccp's been you know milking on with each of their games for vr being at least initially an exclusive for any given platform yeah, and I mean that—that's fair. I mean those those exclusivity contracts can can have a very high price, and if you know companies are, or rather if the, the companies making these these uh, headsets are willing to to fork that out, then sure, you know it's just a matter of how much that's worth to them. But uh, you're right though, like CCP has obviously been kind of marketing on that. Uh, they recently released um, or at least announced rather uh, their new. VR game, which I, I know Zell is very excited for, um, and this is of course uh, Spark, which is kind of the evolved uh, version of Project Arena, which is kind of that Tron disc battle type thing. So I'll, I'll let Zell talk about this because I'm sure he will be definitely picking it up because uh, it is going to be available on all platforms. So tell us a bit about Project Spark for uh, what you do know about it. All right, so um, Project Spark is like that thing that I was super excited about when I went to Iceland in 2015. That was like the disc battle VR prototype. And then uh, they they brought it back in uh, 2016 as uh, Project Arena, and then uh, now finally they're announcing it as a as a release uh, game. And it's actually it's actually CCP's first non Eve universe game, um, at least as far as we know. Um, and uh, yeah, it's so the the biggest thing is initially you know you you used a, they used a Kinect camera initially to map your hands so you didn't have any controllers. It was a really neat setup and I had a lot of fun with it, but it wasn't, you know, it it was one of those setups that you can set up for a demo facility but isn't really likely to be be used at home. Um and so they've adapted it to the much more conventional you can use your Oculus Touch controller or your Vive controller or or what have you or your PlayStation Move controller um because I believe it I believe it's going to support all of them. It does, um, yes. And uh yeah, so I am uh pretty excited about this because this is the one that uh, this is what probably my favorite thing i've ever tried in vr um and uh i i i only got to play it once i played against uh cross a two uh from the cpm and we tied right before they shut the game down for the for the year 
So <laughs> no rematch. There was there was no rematch, and so I actually uh, I actually sent uh, Cross on Skype a link to the uh, the video, and I said, "You, me, rematch." And uh, he he did just respond, so um, you know, hopefully we can we can set that up. I don't know, I, I don't know, it's gonna you know be involved in setting that up, but I want my rematch because it's it's been two years and and it's just it's it's hurt me that I don't know which of us is better, and that's the only <laughs> thing that matters. It is the only thing that matters because you know, um, I, I should clarify. Uh, I did misspeak. It's not Project Spark. It is actually just Spark. It's in CCP language. It is a full game. It is not a project prototype. Not sure if it's going to be a full game or not deal. So it is an actual release game. But you know, it does. They are kind of making an interesting marketing pitch with this one, basically saying that they wanted to create kind of a, a sporting event that that was physically based. Like you do actually have to move around to play the game. It, it does require the the uh, hand motion controllers to, to do this. Um, but it's a kind of sport that could only really be done in a virtual space. Like it wouldn't be possible to realistically create a game where you're actually bouncing a ball down a hallway and doing all kinds of special effects um, in, a, in an actual physical space. So their, their whole goal is to create kind of this, this sport that, you know, you can play that only works with VR um, and you can play with anyone around the world. I mean, you know, it is a I, I think, I think it's a little thick on the marketing there. Oh, of, course. I, I mean, of course it is. I mean, <laughs> Come this, on. it doesn't feel shockingly different than like, you know, like a tennis game or racquetball or something where you can, you know, bounce the ball off walls or something. And in a, you know, in addition, uh, but you're, you're bouncing a ball back and forth. It's, it's virtual pong or 3d pong. Basically. Um, it's a ton of fun. I really, really like it. I don't want, I don't want my, my criticism of their marketing tactic um, to, uh, to say, to like dampen the fact that this is amazing and I will be the first person in line to buy it. Um, I, I'm super excited, but uh, yeah, I don't. I, I don't know about like their trailer is like super dramatic with like you know people you know prepping their 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 sporting implements and stuff, and I just just show us the game. The game is cool. I, I had to laugh because it, it shows, like you said, that they're prepping like this guy's like wrapping his fists in like boxing tape, or this guy's like you know getting his grip on his fencing sword. I'm like, wow, what, what's this going to be? And they're like, just kidding, it's actually Pong. I'm like, okay, well that's cool, but it has nothing to do with the first 30 seconds of this trailer. So, you know, I, I had to roll my eyes a bit at that because they they were going on about like, oh yeah, we're going to have it so. You know, people can spectate outside the, the virtual arena, and it's like this social thing where they can all watch this sport together. And I'm, I have to roll my eyes because whenever I hear the term esport, I just kind of, you know, it's like, Ugh, but sure, I mean, the, the thing is, is it would be cool to have, you know, to to add like VR games to that, you know, VR gaming category. Um, but it, it, yeah, it's just the marketing was a little. It was well, it was very CCP. Oh yeah, <laughs> it was yeah. very CCP. Now, now I will say, and it, 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 they did kind of, like you said, they iterated on this. Oh, this is their first non-Eve game, which is obviously true. It's it's just meant to be this this kind of fun, you know, physical-based sports game. Um, but I was thinking, like, this would actually be kind of a cool tie-in for because I know they kind of uh, axed a lot of the is gambling sites over on Eve Online. But if they could actually kind of have this be almost like a sporting event that 
players in EVE do. I mean, obviously not through the EVE client, but it's something that because it's a CCP product, they could actually have like a, an is gambling thing where you could bet on matches between people that, that play Spark. You know, I, so I don't think universe. I don't think they're going to get into is gambling. I know they're it. not going to. But, I, I, you know, it, I will say this: that there was there was a thought that crossed my mind when you were talking about that just then was if you look at the number of games out there that have in-game currency, you know, the, the ubiquitous, you know, I need to buy gold or whatever, like there's real money value in it, but effectively it's, it's like made up currency. There's a ton of games like that, like that, if you, if they could figure out a way where you could actually bet, like you could like basically buy, you know, call it ISK credits, whatever, you know, galactic doodads or whatever. And then you could bet that man, that would be pretty legit. I'd be like at least mildly illegal in 52 different states, but it would be freaking bomber if you could do that. To me, that's esports. That's like when I, when I can put money on it, and there's there's some like dude sweating on the other end that he's gonna like lose real money if his if he can't get his uh, his fat ass off the couch and get his Tron going. Uh, yeah, that that's that's a sport. I like that. Well, it actually raises an interesting question because, I mean, there, there's like – I'm not too familiar, but there's like poker sites where you can actually bet real money online. Oh, yeah. It's actual gambling. Huge so, poker sites to do that. So, like, th- this would fall kind of in that same category. I mean, it's effectively you are betting on a sporting event through digital means. It's not, you know, gambling in the sense of like a you know a casino in a state. It's actually all online. I, I can see them actually – going maybe not with this particular product but just in the future you know have actual sporting events where you've got people betting on each other i I could see the market popping up if money's involved you know they will come yeah i mean if that's i mean right now esports is uh effectively it hovers around like major like once or twice a year tournaments given you know based on the given game and then you know there's there's some serious money put out i think the the highest amount i've heard is like coming out of world of tanks when they do their uh their super tournament that's like true worldwide i mean there's like i'm sure there's like russian billionaires walking around making it rain you know trying to get like 18 year old sergey to get in there and get after it but it's uh you know that's that's probably the usually what it hovers around again is those kind of uh episodic tournaments when you can turn that into something that can be done from your couch that's pretty powerful i mean that's like serious money powerful yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely an interesting market. It'll be good to see kind of how that that moves forward. I, I again, I don't know if if CCP will bother trying to, to delve into that just because they're they're trying to pioneer and you don't want to get too too crazy with it. But uh, you know, I, I I do look to see you know how gambling will actually pop up with with esports and then how that all works in in the long run. So it'll be good to see. Uh, but yeah, so that's you know, in, in terms of, of you know esports, you've you've got a lot of games that are kind of up there, and I know that one company that's been kind of pushing for their game to become more esports related is of course Blizzard with Overwatch. They've they've kind of been, you know, maybe not shouting that 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 term, but you can tell they're kind of pushing for that that sort of model with the kind of game they have. So uh, Overwatch actually did release their the details on their new character that's coming out. Um, we talked about it a bit about last week. We we thought it was Doomfist, but it's actually not. It's a character named. Uh, I Orisa. said it. I said it wasn't. Just for the record. Uh, okay. Okay. I. I, I, I said just, it was. I. I was. I well, was I just, what, what, what did I do? Wait, I wait. wanted to highlight my rightness, where I said that it that the rumors were that it was like a, a tank character called like Ankora, and that Doomfist was the next one, and then uh, the the whole Ankora name came from like what they've defined Reinhardt and this new character Orisa to be our anchor tanks and. 
Ancora apparently was kind of like a just an interim name before they they came up with everything. Um, but uh, this the the description of this character is spot on for for the rumored character to come before Doomfist um, that I mentioned uh, last week. Good job, Zell. You're right. Here's a cookie. Gold star for Zell. Okay, so th- this is a, a tanking character, correct? I, I, I'm not yes. the details of, of, um, of Overwatch. This character is, um, it, it's actually like, it's kind of interesting. It's like this centaur-like robot. It's like a, a four-legged robot um, thing. And it can put, uh, whereas Reinhardt has like a shield he holds in front of him that, that moves with him, Orissa uh, places, uh, places a shield on the ground. Um, that's that's much the same size, but it doesn't move with uh, with the hero at all. Um, but it does. Uh, it's almost twice. Uh, it'll it'll take almost twice as much damage. So you can't you can't really use it as a you know to push a line through. But it can it can take a pretty strong beating. I I saw a funny. There's a, there's a promotional picture where it shows um, this character uh, basically putting his hand out to stop a car from running over this this little lady who's walking across the street. So naturally someone got onto the level of Overwatch where uh, the cars are, are driving by and of course tried to do this and got launched, you know, across the stage and then was bitching about, uh, you know, bad advertising for the character. But, uh, you know, it, it does it does look, look, look pretty cool. It's an interesting character. You don't see many of this style of, of character design in, in games, this kind of centaur robot. Um, you know, for for an FPS sort of game, it's certainly outside the humanoid style characters or, or straight up human characters we've had. Um, so it's it's kind of interesting to kind of diversify the the look of of different you know characters they've gotten Overwatch and then try to you know branch out a bit. I, I think it looks pretty cool. Um, yeah, you know, it's it, it does look exciting for for those who do play the game. Yeah, the move set on uh, Arissa, if if I'm saying that name right, is reportedly pretty interesting you know i think zell kind of described a little bit of it her ultimates kind of have some neat uh, sort of offensive buffing capability uh, so you could see her working in tandem with with some of the different characters you know you can kind of do some theory crafting real quick uh whereas reinhardt's carrying shield she projects one out forward and it's and it's static so it sounds like she could launch or project or create a shield at a strategic point uh, to provide cover as opposed to just, you know, kind of following Reinhardt's shield wall that he makes. Uh, and then if, then she triggers the ultimate, like at a, like when you're at a key defensive node or a key, you're trying to take like a key, uh, key intersection or whatever, uh, which then gives an offensive boost to all the nearby players that are within line of sight of whatever the device is or the thing that, that she's, you know, the overcharger or the turbochargers they refer to it as. So it could be, could be pretty cool. I, I think there'd be a. I think that's one of the things that Overwatch has done, uh, may, and and maybe it might be the root of why their why their game is so good. They took a very clean idea of a an arena style FPS, and they made really different uh, characters. And ev- pretty much, uh, there is no character that's not viable. Uh, if you know, some of them are definitely more niche than others. But this one, I think, I think Arissa will be a good addition. Uh, it'll be pretty interesting. Now, what it makes me wonder, though, is is Doomfist going to be the reciprocal of her uh, when he when he is released? If that makes sense, like, will he be a shield breaker, if you will? And a lot of the powers you see that him alluded to kind of kind of goes that way, you know, like sort of the big 
classic superhero punch that like you know breaks walls and windows and that that kind of jazz. I could see a scenario where Doomfist might be the shield breaker, which is not really something that you have in the game right now. Nothing that can walk up and, and be a direct counter to Reinhardt or now potentially Arissa. Yeah, perhaps. Um, and one of the other abilities that she has that I think is fun, I just wanted to mention it, um, is uh, she has a ball, like this little energy ball she can fire off and then she can trigger it at a point and it will pull things towards towards the ball. So um, uh, it works off cliffs is all you need to know. <laughs> oh, that's going to be some good videos. <laughs> it's going to be so nerfed, like, now already. Eh, I don't know. That's, I mean, th- there's a lot of good environmental things you can actually take advantage of in the game. So I think I think it'll be, I, I don't think that's going to be nerfed. It's actually kind of like Zarya's, isn't it? Doesn't she have it, a similar it looks, capability? It, it's a, it looks a lot like Zarya's, but I don't think it's a, I don't think it's an alt, whereas it is for Zarya. Okay. All right. I got you. Now, hey, Zell, I'm sorry, Pokey, go ahead, please. No, 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 go, no, go ahead, it's not a big deal. I, no, it just sparked my mind as we were talking about, like, you, how these different characters are kind of leveling out. Uh, did they just, they just upgraded Bastion, like, this week? They are, they are nerfing Bastion. Um, like, yeah, there like, was, they, they there was, back, they OP'd him, now they Angry, angry, angry everyone about uh, Bastion's buff. I have not actually tried the game since they buffed him, but apparently he is uh, completely, completely... Like, you cannot do a match without him. Apparently, he can heal through people's alts and stuff now, and he can heal while running, and they upped his damage when he's running around, and he's, he's yeah, apparently he's he's very broken, to the point that this is, like, the first time that, like, an Overwatch dev has been like, yeah, we're talking about rolling back the change, just, like, straight up undoing it. Nice. <laughs> Fantastic. So, Zell, uh, another Blizzard game I know you're also familiar with, uh, Heroes of the Storm added a new character, or is adding a new character named Probius. And I watched the trailer that you, you gave us, and I was a little confused by everything. Is that meant to be a whole new character, or is it just like a game element that they're adding? That's a whole new character. That's The, the little probe is uh, the, new, the new character. And um, the, the whole thing is um, that uh, Probius constructs pylons um, from StarCraft. And, and yes, so there will be many construct additional pylons memes uh, revolving around Probius, I'm sure. Um, and it it strikes me that Probius is certainly got to be a, like a specialist um, type of class where, where um, if you've ever heard, if you know anything about how Abathur plays in the game, I expect Probius to act a lot like Abathur. Um to, to give you an idea, Abathur tends to stay in the back of the play, like tends to stay back in forts, um, and then can project buffs and other advantages across the game field, um, from the safety of uh, the fort. And if you actually manage to shoot Abathur, um, Abathur uh, dies pretty much immediately. Um, Abathur cannot be useful in combat, and any any mo- any moment where you see someone get killed by like an Abathur meleeing them. It's an instant comedy gold for YouTube because it's just a thing that shouldn't ever be able to happen. Um, and uh, I, I found a, a second video uh, that actually showed uh, Probius's full set of abilities. And they did show Probius more up in combat, but I, it, they still make it seem like Probius itself will be very weak and will be heavily reliant on assembling these pylons and turrets and other things um, and, and really hanging behind um, you know, fellow players. Okay, I, I can kind of see what you're talking about there with the, with the Abathur reference. So it's it's more of a indirect, you know, because in the trailer he he kind of tries to engage with the enemy and then ends up running away and 
and kind of luring them into a trap almost, and they all get blown up. So kind of kind of more of a, an indirect uh, support sort of class. But that, yeah. that could be yeah. interesting. Yeah, I mean, Probius itself will probably not be killing anyone. The things Probius assembles will be killing people. Gotcha. All right, sounds pretty cool. So uh, do we have a release date on that one yet? No, but I, I, I mean, I, I don't have a date, but they push. Here's the Storm puts out a hero like almost every six weeks. It's very, it's very regular. It's very fast. Um, I kind of expect we'll probably see Probius in within a week or two. Okay, pretty cool. So you also, uh, just another really short thing, you, you've been, of course, doing Star Citizen, new updates. Uh, anything interesting with that, or is it mostly just fixes? Um, 2.6.2 is mostly just fixes. I just wanted to highlight that uh, it is it is marching along. Um, March 23rd is their next uh, projected date for, for a release. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of it's a lot of it is fixes with uh, Star Marine as it's kind of their newest feature and they're still trying to get it right. Um, but, uh, yeah. All right. Sounds pretty good. So uh, other things that are also coming out, uh, obviously, as most of you probably realize, uh, Nintendo Switch came out a couple days ago, March 3rd, um, facing some issues, unfortunately, uh, a lot of hardware problems. Uh, some people complain about scratch screens, that sort of thing. But kind of the major ones are. Uh, both blue and orange screens of death, uh, systems kind of getting bricked. Uh, it doesn't really seem like it's you know a widespread issue, but there are certainly it's not just isolated issues. People are, are popping up and, and having problems. A couple workarounds people have been talking to uh, Nintendo tech support, and often the solution is send it back. We'll send you a new one. So uh, it's unclear if this is a hardware issue or if it's a issue with the software from like day one patching and that sort of thing. Uh, but the Switch is having some difficulty um, with its release. That That is unfortunate. We'll have to kind of track where that's going moving forward if, if they're, you know, getting it fixed or if it's an ongoing issue. So hopefully they figure it out. But uh, the other thing is that also apparently their cartridges taste really bad, which really is an intentional bad. feature. Um, really, really, really bad. I mean, I, I we're gonna I'm going to put this video in the show notes, um, but uh, the... Kotaku has a has a guy who who runs a little series called Snack Taku where he reviews and rates snacks. Um and so this is a guy who like as a thi- as a regular thing puts strange things in his mouth to judge how they taste. Um and if you see the the revulsion on his face as he barely touches the 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 switch cartridge to his tongue. It it's I I mean this is supposed to be um, you know, this denatonium benzoate is like the most, the most bitter tasting chemical known to mankind or something. Um, and they coated the suckers in it. I mean, they, he's, he's, he, he was, he was even talking about how like it spreads around your mouth. Drinking doesn't make it go away very quickly. Um, that it's just truly, truly awful. Um, and, uh, Nintendo did confirm that they did it, uh, intentionally to prevent people f- from little kids from sticking them in their mouth. Um, because as this guy put it, if, uh, if your kid sticks it in your mouth, they will take it out very quickly. That's, that's pretty smart. I mean, you, you obviously can't do everything to completely prevent, you know, kids from choking in your product, but you know, this, this does kind of help for kids that might be playing or pop the thing out of the, out of the, the switch, you know, uh, game pad and, and put it in their mouth because that's what kids do so hopefully this this kind of helps uh alleviate some of those choking issues that that tend to pop up when there's small parts involved with uh with children's toys yeah and this is the smallest cartridge nintendo's ever done it's it's about the size of an sd card it's very it's very mouthable i don't know how easy it would be to swallow it but it's definitely 
Um, it, it's definitely small enough that kids will put them in their mouths and then will learn very quickly not to. I'm, I'm pretty sure after having seen one of those Nintendo Switches that, like, my dog could eat that entire thing. Uh, she would pretty much inhale it. So I was like, when I heard the, you know, that they'd coated it with that, uh, that chemical substance, I was like, that might be, that might be good. That would stop my bulldog from, you know, have like a English bulldog. She would probably eat it and then spend the rest of the afternoon, like licking the carpet to try to get it off of her, off her mouth. But at least I would know where the where the Nintendo Switch cartridge went. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like the the extent of revulsion here is like. I have to imagine, like, if a little kid tried to lick this, I, I think a little kid would just immediately break out crying for an hour. I mean, this guy looked truly, truly disturbed <laughs> by the taste of this thing. That's if good stuff. Like, if you would like to see Zell lick the Switch cartridge, tweet him at OCD Trekkie. I am not going to lick the Switch cartridge. He'll do it if you lick, lick, lick the cartridge. If, lick the cartridge. We'll set up a, a Patreon, and the more, and if we get like certain dollar mounts, Zell can lick the cartridge. Mm-hmm. Then he can lick the cartridge while he's playing a video VR game. There you go. And we'll live stream it on Twitch. And if you're really into it, we may even mail you one of the cartridges that he lit. If that's your thing. <laughs> nobody, that. nobody wants my DNA. Nobody. You, you, trust you, me. You could, you could get a, you could get a, a semi-free. Nintendo Switch game cartridge with Zell's DNA. There you go. I, actually, though, like, uh, and and I would I would say all seriousness, but one of the other things I've I've been seeing popping up on the interwebs uh, with the Switch is that there's an issue with game saving. Apparently, one of the original discussions is that you could like take your Switch stuff to your buddy's house and have your game files on it, but apparently that doesn't quite work as well as they they intended it to. You know, that was a feature that they really sold for the, the original Wii as well, and, and it really didn't go anywhere, because originally, you know, if you could store some stuff on the Wiimotes, and the idea was you'd take your Wiimote to your friend's house and hook it up to, and you'd have, like, your me profile and stuff like that. Yeah, well, um, no, I mean, apparently this doesn't, it's not that it doesn't work well or that people didn't want to do it. It's literally like when, when people try, it literally, it like it doesn't have the capacity to store anything on it, which is uh, apparently was a feature they said it was going to have. Yeah, that's, that's, I, I hadn't heard about that one. That one's kind of shitty because that was a pretty big selling point, I remember, is that it's the whole, oh yeah, just pull it out of your dock and stick it in your friend's dock and you're, you're good to go. But uh, that's, <laughs> um that's uh you know that that's that's unfortunate that's not working um now bait i know you got some hands-on experience with a switch you don't own it but you had a friend that had one and, and you tried mm-hmm. it out what were your yeah, thoughts on that? yeah i did it was um he uh he got it uh for a midnight release um so the next day um i i went over and i tried it, and i am absolutely impressed by it um I have not owned a Nintendo console since, like, the Wii, and even then I never really played it, but, like, I think if I got the Switch that it would, it would be something that, that I would uh, pour hours into. Um, uh, a buddy of mine got uh, Breath of the Wild with, uh, with his, his Switch, and uh, I'm not really, like, into Zelda, I guess. Um, I think the last Zelda game I played was Ocarina of Time on the N64, um, but after playing Breath of the Wild on, on the Switch, I will say that I was very, very impressed, and I am seriously considering going to, uh, to uh, purchasing one. And, and how, how does it feel, like, in terms of, like, were you playing oh with the God. classic controller? or um, I played, um, classic controller is the one that looks like, a, like an Xbox controller, right? Yeah, yeah. That was absolutely not comfortable. 
Um, at least for me. He swears up and down it's the best way to play it. But I, I did not find it comfortable. I found it, um, uh, aside from the, the, the handheld where the Joy-Cons were on either side of the screen, I think was the best way to play it. Um, but second to that, I think, uh, would be to, to just hold the Joy-Cons uh, separately and using the kickstand to, uh, you know, for, for your screen. Um, those Joy-Cons, you know, I think a lot of people were worried about, oh my god, I don't think the size is going gonna, is, is gonna to be good. I thought the size was fine. It fit in my hand just fine. Um, but for him, his hands are a little bit bigger than mine. He's like, no, this is absolutely uncomfortable. So it, it, it really is going to come down, obviously, to, to personal preference. But like I said, I found that separating the Joy-Cons was perfectly fine. Um, oh, God, what else? There's so much that was running through my mind. Um, oh, fuck. The, so you were talking about the screen scratches earlier. Um, the only time I noticed scratches on, on his screen were, I think, two of them. One was completely his fault. The other, he said, just scratch. Uh, it, it scratched for no reason. I didn't notice them, obviously, when the game was on. Um, but, you know, when the game was locked, uh, it, it was a little bit noticeable. Um, what else? Battery life. Um, he had it um, not in the dock. And I think I sat there for about two hours straight going at that thing. and only drained maybe 20% of the battery. Which was really wow. good, I thought. Yeah, that's yeah. that's solid. Yeah, dude, it was it was right. It was all fucked. It was good. Um, it was the the game was was uh fucking beautiful. It was a lot more pretty um than than I guess I expected. Even watching the uh, the trailers and and the the gameplay footage and, and whatnot, it was a really pretty game. The mechanics were really solid. It felt um it felt a lot like like uh like Skyrim, honestly. Um. I know a lot of people were saying, oh, it looks like Skyrim. Yeah, it, it feels that's like, not a, like that's Skyrim not a bad on the <laughs> What's up? Listen, that's not a bad thing if it looks like Skyrim. Oh, no, no, not at all. No, it, it feels like you're uh, like Skyrim. Obviously, it's it's Zelda, but it, it, it has that feel, which uh, it is a plus for me uh, for, for the game. Um, what else, man? Um, I don't know what else to say. It was, it, it was solid. Uh, about how heavy do you feel the 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 gamepad, the actual screen with the Joy Cons? But how heavy is that to carry around? Oh shit, it wasn't heavy at all. It probably it probably weighed as much as my phone does. It's about as um, much as an iPad, like an older yeah, iPad. Yeah, exactly. that's, that's not bad. That's, that's no, reasonable. No, no, it, it was it was smaller. It was a lot smaller than I thought it was going to be. As or um, yeah, than I thought it was going to be. Um, I thought, you know, looking from the the all the reveals and whatnot, that it was it was the screen was going to be a little bit bigger, but it uh, it was a good size. I thought um, it, it, it's going to replace the DS. I, I I really would be surprised if Nintendo made a DS, you know, sometime in the future. Ooh, I don't uh, know about that, man. DS is pretty strong in Japan. The DS has so and much it, so much behind it; it's not going anywhere. Um, but uh, yeah. And, and you played you played Zelda on the Wii U version, correct? I so? did, and uh, from from everything I've heard, the Wii U version and the Nintendo Switch version look uh, just about identical. Um, oh, do they? Yeah, I, I've heard oh. there's there's really very little difference there. Um, you know, obviously the game actually was originally meant to be on the Wii U, um, but it kept getting pushed back and pushed back um, until it ended up being with their next generation console as well. Um, but uh, yeah, so I mean, like, I bought the Wii U years ago, expecting for the purposes of playing this game, <laughs> and we're finally getting it. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, it's so in, I'm very opposite, uh, bait. I'm a, I'm an, I'm a Zelda fan. Um, Zelda is why I buy game consoles. Really? Um, I bought, I bought every game console Nintendo's ever said we're putting a Zelda game on. Um, so that's, that's been a really exciting bit for me. Um, but it's actually, it's been really, really surprising because it's, it's, it's not very much like a, like a Zelda game. <laughs> you know, I, almost every Zelda game has followed pretty much the same formula. Um, you know, whereas you, you start, you wake up, you have almost nothing, you know, and then at some point they give you like a sword and a shield and they send you into your first dungeon. And then in your first dungeon, you get like some gimmicky weapon thing that you need to beat the main boss of that dungeon and then uh, then that that gimmicky thing also gives you what you need to progress to the next dungeon uh, where you'll get some other gimmicky thing that you need to beat uh, the next boss. And so some of the things like, um, you know, the uh, the bow and arrow is usually like a, a mid game thing. That's usually like I would say about halfway through any Zelda game. And I, ha- I haven't even been in a dungeon yet and I have a bow and arrow. Um, and that was really really surprising to me it's very unformulaic of a, of a zelda game to allow that um and uh, so far everything i have has durability um which is another thing that zelda does not generally do um that you know you get shields and bows and, and sticks and spears and stuff and they you can use them for a little bit and then they wear out and you you throw them away um because usually you would just get like you know they had a set of like you know 15 total weapons or items that you'd use and all of them lasted forever and so this is a very very different formula it's very strange um and they have cooking mini games and stuff like that and and there's there's it's a lot lot different um than uh than what i've come to expect from a zelda game i wouldn't say it's bad though um the other thing that i we found particularly notable uh in our initial play is uh, this game will let you climb anything. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's With most games, the side of a cliff face means this is the side of a map. Please do not go further. Um, Zelda will actually let you climb anything in this game. You can you can just, like, straight up cliff climb, um, provided you have the, the energy to do it, which is, is pretty crazy. Not a lot of energy, though, from what I experienced. I don't know if you can uh, upgrade that over, over time, but yeah, it wasn't yeah. a lot. Yeah, I pre- I presume there's there's various upgrades and bonuses to it as you go. Um, but yeah, as far as energy consumption, climbing wasn't even a, a big draw on it. And so there were a lot of times it's like, do we have to go around this? No, apparently we can just straight up climb it. And one thing I do want to say before I get the map in that game is fucking absurd for a, for a game on, on that kind of console. Um, I think if you compare it to uh, Skyrim, it's just a little, it's about twice as big as Skyrim, I think. Um, and a little bit smaller than, than Grand Theft Auto V's map. Now, is it meaningful space like Skyrim was, where there's actually stuff to do, or is it big for the sake of being big? Oh, fuck if I know, dude. I was only in the, like, first area. Okay. Yeah, I mean, like, I same here as I haven't even gotten to, like, the first dungeon um, of the game. Um, but there were a lot of things that you could just, you'd just be running around, you'd be like, oh, there's a camp of guys I can go kill. Why not? Pokey's you know, having you know. an open world trigger right now. <laughs> no, I, can, I can hear it. 
<laughs> no, no, it's um, you know, open world can be done well. Obviously, there's, there's a lot of good examples of that. But uh, a fun fact, Zelda, it's something you actually you brought up that uh, you said it was uncharacteristic that things were you could kind of do them out of order. And and actually, if you've ever, I don't know if you've played the very very first Zelda, you can actually skip dungeons in there. You can actually go to the final dungeon if you happen to know where it is. It's just you often get clues or, 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 you know, directions from other dungeons that lead you to, you know, the next one, and you, you end up kind of working through them through sequential order, but if you happen to know how to get there, you can go straight to the final dungeon. Call of the Wild is actually the same way. You can spawn in, and if you know where it is, you can go straight for the final dungeon and go fight the final boss. You're going to have three hearts and absolutely nothing to kill him with, but you can do it. So actually, they've really kind of gone back to the very original format where it is truly open world, and there's not really there's a story, obviously, but you aren't required to do all of the content to finish the game, which I think is kind of interesting. They would they would go that far back because it does, like you said, break the Zelda formula over the last couple of games where, you know, Ocarina of Time, I know Bates played that, everyone's by played that. You know, it's, you go through the first three and then you go through, I think, the Temple of Time and then there's the other temples you go through and then you go fight the final boss. You, you kind of have to do them in order and you're expected to complete one well, after I mean, the other, but you don't have to in Breath of the And they do, they do some of it here as well, though. Um, like one of the things that's a big Zelda trend is um, to give you is to is to have it look like it's an open world, but have areas you can only reach using certain abilities so that you have to have unlocked a certain ability before you can get somewhere. And, uh, you know, one of the places that I did get to um, was uh, over a bridge and uh, ha- part of the bridge was missing. And you had to get this magnetic ability that would let you take this big giant metal grate and move it over the the missing part of the bridge to fill it in so you could cross. Um, and that's that's kind of a traditional Zelda content gating mechanic, and I do still see it being used here. Uh, one of the things that's also very early that they explain in the game is that you're on this like plateau, and uh, there is no way down except for a paraglider. And if you were to do anything but go get that paraglider and you try to get off of this starting plateau, you will you will almost certainly fall and die. Um, so you have to go through the whole chain of events to get the paraglider before you can leave this area. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's fair. And like you said, you can get stuff that's not necessarily locked behind a certain dungeon. You can just go get the item if you happen to know where it is. And, and Bate pointed out in our, our chat here that you can actually speedrun the entire game. The current world record for the speedrun is a little over two hours. Um, you can speedrun the entire game before the gamepad actually runs out of battery if you want. Um, that's obviously if you know exactly what you need to do to go from point A to B and get past those gating mechanics. But at the same time, you can also draw it out for a very long time if you go through all the content. So it is it is interesting, and it really does kind of give a proper sense of player choice that if you really hate that one dungeon, you don't really have to go do it if you really don't want to. Um, and it, it's, it's an interesting callback to the very first Zelda so it is interesting to see and obviously it's being received quite well uh, the game is getting practically near perfect if not perfect reviews across the board I think that you said Zell, it's being hailed as the second best game of all time right behind Ocarina of Time which might be a bit you know a bit of an exaggeration but obviously it, it's being critically acclaimed across the, the whole industry as being absolutely amazing and I think that Nintendo probably is kind of banking off of you know We'll release the Switch, and hey, the Zelda game is really awesome. You should go buy a Switch and play it because it's you know it's cool. So, um, you know, it, it's good that it, it's it's doing well. 
so yeah, we'll, we'll we'll cover that one moving forward, and, and I'd like to get your final review on that as well once you you complete the game and, and give us your thoughts on the whole thing, and, and we'll we'll come back to this one at a later date. But uh, another game that we have had one of our, our hosts playing is Jay with Torment Tides of Numera. Uh, it was one of the more more successful Kickstarters that that came out, and, and he picked it up and has been kind of playing around with it. So do you want to tell us a bit about your experience, Jay? Yeah, sure. So. Uh... The game came out basically this week. I've picked it up. It's it's on multiple different platforms. I'm playing it on the PS4 right now. Uh, most people, I think, are playing it on the uh, on the PC though. So uh, any of my comments will be focused around the uh, the PS4, the console version. Uh, and as far as I can tell from what research I've been able to do, my observations, at least of the the broad spectrum, things are are pretty. Uh, pr- hold pretty well true for the PC versus the the console. There'll obviously be some differences in terms of like minute to minute gameplay. So um, let's see where to start. Torment Tides of Numenera. The, it's kind of a mouthful of a name, but there was a game many years ago called uh, Planescape Torment. Planescape colon Torment uh, that was pretty groundbreaking in its own right, and it was one of the first games that was truly gave you player choice. So a lot of the games that you see nowadays, you know, kind of the mass effects, you know, the telltale games, things like that. Uh, many of them in some way, if you ever like, if you looked looked into it or like read some articles, they would often reference torment, uh, the Planescape version of torment uh, as, as sort of an inspiration to where they got their, choice and dialogue ideas from like the, how do you make moral choices in a game that echo throughout the game? Uh, Knights of the Old Republic was another one that, that often harkened back to, uh, to Planescape. So Planescape was actually a dungeon, a, and one of the alternate Dungeons and Dragons settings. It was actually an, a no kidding TSR slash Wizards of the Coast property that was tied to the kind of the classic Dungeons and Dragons world. Long story short, uh, in Planescape Torment, you woke up and you were a, a very generic character. And the game was was built in such a way that where you would die repeatedly, but you would be reanimated. And then you're, you could re-roll your character every time you died. So if you wanted to be like a thief, a fighter, a magic user, or, or whatever, it was you could very quickly adjust to do that. The big thing, though, was an incredibly deep set of NPCs, companion characters, and then the story itself. And it was really a, a, a pretty adult game at the time it came out. It was very much a, um, a a moral choose-your-own-adventure kind of game. And it wasn't over-the-top crazy, but it was pretty well done. I mean, it was kind of your classic, you know, you know, late 90s isometric RPG uh, of which is, is actually right now having a bit of a renaissance. Like if you look at all the the, quote, the sort of classic digital RPGs coming out this year, it's pretty it's pretty interesting. Tides of Numenera is actually you know, one of the the leading ones in that charge coming out. So fast forward a little bit, Monty Cook and some guys. Monty Cook is sort of one of the uh, original tabletop RPG maestros. He's literally one of the the original guys that put RPGing on the map as a, as a true game form uh, back in the 70s and the 80s. Monty Cook Games, which is a pretty interesting website, he developed the game world of Numenera. And uh, the first thing I'll tell you is that the game broadly, uh, I'll just kind of give you the bottom line up front on the game now that I've given you a little bit of context for it. I would give it about a 7.5 out of 10. Uh, it is a very well done 
Kickstarter. Uh, let me make sure I'm saying that right. So in terms of it's, it is not like a, you know, like a triple A type game that you're going to see, but it's pretty solid. It's pretty well done. Uh, it does not necessarily look dated, but it is definitely a, a classic isometric walking around during questing RPG game. Okay. So that's, that's the first thing. Uh, the visual style is incredibly unique. And, and when I say that, I mean, it's, it is good. I mean, the artwork itself is, is technically good, but the style in the game world itself is very, very unique. And that's one of the biggest draws of the games. Uh, there's a there's a huge list of uh, Numenera uh, game lore that you can get outside the outside the game from Monty Cook Games. It's it is a thriving tabletop RPG. So um, it, it is basically one billion years in the future. And so there's been multiple uh, huge civilizations that have risen and fallen over time, uh, many of which have reached, you know, truly fantastical levels of, you know, almost it's it, it's almost if you sort of took Dune and, you know, the, the Frank Herbert Dune world and um, Mad Max and sort of put them together. And that's about where you're at now. You're in what they what they refer to as the ninth age. It's not very clear if that's like you're the ninth civilization that's been around but it's a very young civilization so what you've got is basically kind of your classic fantasy level of technology sort of that uh, medieval level of technology but the entire landscape is littered with just the leavings of these ultra fantastical uh these incredibly advanced civilizations that have crumbled before you so magic in the world is not necessarily magic per se it's more along the lines of um, repurposed or recaptured uh, hyper technology, things like that. Uh, or it could truly be, you know, some level of development of like psychic powers. Then you, so you've got your kind of three basic classes that you work off of the, the glaive, which is your fighter, the nano, which is sort of the, you know, the, with the wizard, if you will, and then the Jack or the Jack of all trades. That's definitely an in-betweener of the, the fighter and the wizard, so to speak not it's not a true thief type character per se but gives you a lot of different skills so where this ties back into torment plane you know the planescape version uh it is definitely an homage to that style of game which is not very heavy on combat if you don't want to fight so there is a lot of toing i call it the toing and froing of rpgs where you have to go to this guy and he sends you fro to that thing to go fetch a doodad or talk to a person there is a lot of that and this is very much um if you imagine one if you're going to read a, a a novel or a story and it was had a visual component to it this is very much what it is so expect walls of text and voice acting and that really gets you through a lot of the game uh so many times you'll be asked to to deal with moral and ethical challenges and everything you do absolutely will echo throughout the game i've been playing yeah, maybe nine hours so far and everything you do echoes in the game. So from that aspect, this has an incredible amount of potential. Uh, so visually and technically, I would say it is a well-executed Kickstarter, well-executed indie game. Now the downside is it does have a, a $49 triple a price to it. Uh, I don't think it's quite, quite, quite there yet, but, there's there is a lot of potential here, and if you are somebody that really likes um, kind of 
kind of really making your brain work, not in a puzzle solving way, but really trying to uh, cipher through the meanings of the story. And I don't mean it's thick or it's, it is definitely dense, but it is not, it's not uh, overly convoluted. It's just there, there's this huge aspect of lore in that world that you have to fight through initially, but the car- the story is really, it ultimately comes back to what is, what is the, you know, what is the value of one life? That is quite literally the question that is asked over and over and over um, inside the inside the game. What's the value of one life? It could be yours. It could be somebody else's. And you and you can be bad. You can be good. You can do a whole lot of stuff. So it's actually pretty cool. Uh, there's a lot of things you can do in the game. You can truly play it kind of how you want. Uh, that's the good. The bad is it is exactly what I said. It is a well-executed indie Kickstarter game. So there will be some things. It's a, there will be some things technically. There are some bugs here and there. Uh, n- nothing crazy, but it'll make you restart a couple times. Um, it, it is not a polished game. It's like a strong beta, basically. But that's how a lot of these games are that are really reaching pretty high, and they they're really operating at, at sort of a uh, an indie level. So that is one of the bad things. Now, I was not very, I was aware of the game because I was aware of the, you know, the kind of connection back to Planescape Torment. And I'd heard it from some other game developers who were like, hey, the guys that were working on Planescape, they were like trying to basically kind of do that homage to the game uh, in a Kickstarter. I wasn't really tracking it too far. So uh, today I went back and actually looked at their Kickstarter and then kind of dug into their website quite a bit. Uh, when you go on Steam and you download it, what you'll see is generally very probably about seventy five percent of the reviews are pretty positive, but there's a very strong stream of disgruntled Kickstarter rights. Uh, so it was the classic example of promised X delivered X minus. So there are several pieces of the game that are not present. Now I played the game before I realized that. So I played the game for quite a while before I actually understood what was not in the game that was originally designed to be in the game. Uh, that actually lowered my initial rating of the game, to be honest with you, because I do I do tend to value Kickstarter's done well, but what they left out was reportedly some some pretty significant um, NPCs and companions that would have helped you further your story in a lot of different ways. And there's some other things on the edges, like you know, like some better music, better sound quality, things like that. Uh, but but by and large, there were some legitimately aggravated uh, Kickstarter people, from what I can tell. So uh, I think, and I can't really track that track why that is, other than there's a theme of uh, if they hadn't brought it to console, it would have had enough money to do all these things. Don't really know if that's true or not, but that it. But that's uh, the best argument. No, well, that's a very, <laughs> that is a very common argument in these things. Anytime something branches into console, anybody that's on PC freaks out about it. So I, I can totally understand. So overall, 7.5 out of 10. Uh, if you like RPGs, it's it's really unique. I, I will have to say the gameplay is not staggering, but the story and the choices you can make and, and really the world setting is absolutely unique. And there's a lot to build on if they can build on it or will build on it. That sounds pretty solid. It's it's one of those things, like you said, the, the price tag, is it, it makes me a little leery of, of picking it up just to try it out. But I'll, I'll do some more research into it and, and based off your 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 thoughts and, and see if I want to try it or not. But, uh, yeah, sounds pretty cool. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, would, uh, I would definitely say just reference the price point. Uh, $49 is probably too much for this game right now. But... If it is, 
in your wheelhouse, if it's a game, if it's that style of game that you like, it's probably worth it. But you got to really be kind of in that in that audience, that kind of story driven RPG audience, where you like where where combat is not a you know like sort of the action part of the game is not a a driving force for you. If you're in that zone, it's probably the forty nine bucks is probably worth it. If not, it's not it's not quite the same value for you. All right, sounds good, man. So we're gonna move kind of into our our discussion topic i brought it up last week and kind of wanted to, to flesh it out this weekend this actually comes uh from another a number of things i've been replaying uh bloodborne libby's been watching me replay bloodborne and i'm really enjoying it and, and trying a little bit harder this time to kind of look into the lore of the game and, and how it works and um really kind of getting my head around kind of the alternative storytelling that it offers and it also comes from a conversation i have with my brother regarding uh, destiny and the way that they do storytelling um, and so the discussion is kind of in a game that is narrative driven, or at least it has a strong narrative or lore or, or however you want to call it. There's many different kinds of methods in order to present that lore or that story to the player. And, and there's the, kind of the two major ones that, that popped out at me is there's kind of the very direct method where it's like a, a Final Fantasy game or, you know, even um, Mass Effect or, or something like that, where you're basically given effectively a series of events and you follow through the events and they give you information along that way. And it's meant to be kind of like, you know, reading a book, you start from the beginning and you get to the finish and they pretty much hand feed you everything along the way. And it's very clear cut. You don't really miss anything. It gives you everything you, you need to know about the story. And then there's storytelling, which is kind of the indirect method. And uh, the, the Bloodborne game, the Dark Souls, Demon Souls, that style of game does a really good job at this. And, and they do it through, you're often put into the world with zero context of what's going on and are kind of expected to figure it out. And they may give you a helping hand with an NPC you talk to who kind of gives you some cryptic dialogue or, or whatever. And, and you, you kind of work your way through the series of events, sometimes not even in a linear order, just, you know, you explore and you, and you dig around and you find little bits of information and kind of figure out what the overall narrative is. And, and often you find that a lot of the information is hidden, at least in the Soulsborne games, um, in item descriptions where you look at the item you get, you know, it might be a sword or a piece of armor or a healing item and you, you could read about it and it kind of gives you a t like a, like a one, two sentence sort of description. And, and it, you know, you can kind of, combine that with information you gained elsewhere to try to figure out what's going on. Um, and I think with this method, a lot of people will kind of be turned off by it because um, for those of you who play Dark Souls, uh, you may get to the end of the game. You may not have found all the information. You might have missed some things. You may not have read the item descriptions and you'll go, why the hell is my character on fire? And then you go to roll credits. Um, and that can happen. You can, you can go through one of these indirect storytelling kind of games and, and end up being very, very confused about what's going on. And so I kind of wanted to go around the table and get people's thoughts on, you know, you may not have played the Blood Souls or, the, you know, the, the, the Soulsborne series or Demon Souls or, or any of those games. But in terms of the games you've played, what kind of storytelling do you like um, and, and why do you like it, so to speak? Do you like a more direct they kind of give it to you just straight up or you kind of have to figure it out. Uh, what kind of storytelling do you guys like? Well, um, I, I would say it, it kind of depends a little bit on the game. I know it's a bit of a cop-out answer, but uh, it, I've seen it done very well in different places. So there are some games through the natural exposition of the gameplay, you learn a lot about the game and the story itself. There, It is really well woven into it. Probably one of the best examples of that I can give you would be uh, uh, Arkham Knight. That that whole game 
was really a story with live action components that you control the character in. Uh, so that that would be one one method. The other one would be sort of the classic. There are buckets of quote unquote lore dripped all around the game. Skyrim is probably in that in that realm where there's everything's got like some story or there's like tons of like journals that you can find and if you actually read through them you find out that you know there's some pretty pretty nifty things in there in terms of the storytelling of the, of the world itself that provides you context um it's it's basically like if you picked up a uh like a tabletop uh you know player's guide you know, to, to like a Dungeons and Dragons game or something like that. That's basically what you have littered throughout the game and you would have to find it in a variety of different ways. Uh, Numenera is actually like, now that I think about it, Numenera is actually kind of like that too. Because so it, like, for example, in a lot of games you could pick up like the, you know, the plus one sword, right? You know, the, the ubiquitous plus one sword. Well, in Numenera, everything has a description, like everything it'll tell you something about like this thing was owned by some somebody and the family, it says this on the hilt or whatever. There's something about it. Now it, it may mean absolutely nothing to anything you'll ever do in the game, but there's something on there that makes it somewhat personalized, um, which I found kind of actually kind of neat. Um, so in terms of that, in terms of how I like the game deliver or the story delivered in the game, I would say I'm pretty open to a lot of different ways if it's done well. Uh, some some games are much more dense in terms of their your ability to get through and understand if there is a story. For Honor is a great example. It's not really designed as a storytelling game, but it's really like it's got a crazy you know sort of concept of how you bring all these these different cultures together and have them basically in this end, endless you know war with each other. So. But it's not really meant to have a story, so it doesn't really bother me too much. Whereas, again, a game like Arkham Knight, the game is the story. The, you know, the story and the game are, are really synonymous with each other. Does that kind of, does that kind of make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, and, and like you said, it has to be done well. And the reason that I bring up Destiny is because I think Destiny almost attempted to replicate kind of what the Dark Souls games did, where you've got the grimoire, which was, hey, you did this thing, you unlocked this grimoire. If you go online you can read the lore um and i think that that was what they were going for was this idea of like well our our actual campaign is pretty light on story we aren't going to tell you much but if you want to you can dig through this grimoire and figure it out and i think there's a couple issues with that and that one it's not in the game so no one wants to deal with it because you don't want to you know hop off your your game and go read a bunch of lore and second of all i think that it almost tried a little too hard to be ultra descriptive i think the reason that you know the the dark soul series works is that when they give you the bits of lore it's it's really short and concise it's not necessarily a full-on description but it's like a one two sentence you read it quick and you keep going it doesn't pull you out of the game experience whereas if i have to sit and read a multi-paragraph you know essay about this one gun in destiny i'm sure a lot of good writing went into that it's probably all very interesting but i think it 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 detracts too much from the actual gameplay and it pulls you out of that immersion, which is kind of counterproductive what you're trying to do in telling the story. Um, and so that that's kind of an example, I think, of, of it done poorly. Uh, as for you know what I prefer, I, I again, like you said, it's, it's not really a cop-out. I think it's, it's a fair point that um, it depends on the game. I think that for certain games, it makes sense for like 
you know, Final Fantasy, it's meant to tell a very straightforward story. And, you know, there, there's world building, of course. You can you can dig around and, and find little bits of lore, but the majority of the story is very straightforward. You know, it's, it's just delivered to the, the, the player, and, and I think that's fine. I think that there's certainly an appeal for that sort of game. You don't have to think too hard. It's just, I'm going to enjoy what is kind of effectively a movie, you know, you're, you're interacting with like a movie or, or something. The telltale games are also a similar thing where it's, you know, it's very scripted. You're going to get all the information and you just kind of go through it and you, you interact as you go, but the story is pretty much delivered to you. And I think that's fine. I, I, I obviously am a big fan of final fantasy. I, I enjoy that sort of storytelling, but I, I think that for me kind of replaying some of the like bloodborne and dark souls, uh, I've kind of come with a new appreciation for, uh, figuring it out almost. It, it requires you know more thought, which which sometimes I'm not in the mood for. But there is kind of a sense of you know, aha, I get it. You know, it's you know you 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 find that connection, and the player feels rewarded for you know figuring out that connection and understanding. Oh wow, so that's actually what this all meant. And I think that in of itself is is quite rewarding. And unfortunately, I don't think that you have a lot of games that go that route because they they tend to fall to kind of the destiny issue where they almost get too much into they want to give you too much information um when you when you do make the effort to dig and i think that kind of that takes away from it so i i would like to see actually more games come out with that style of of dark souls and bloodborne and demon souls where you you kind of have to figure it out on your own it's not super clear but it also brings that sense of joy when you you do kind of extract what the, the developer's trying to tell you um but not just spoon feeding you. So I, I you know, I, I think that that's that's something that I would like to see more of. I, I would actually be curious. Um, Bates, uh, you're you're a bit of a younger guy, so you you grew up around a different kind of game than than I did. Certainly, what what Jay did. What are your thoughts on it? Do you do you like that sort of storytelling where you have to kind of dig for it, or do you prefer a more straightforward approach? Um, I, I don't know. I think for me, it depends on the game. Um. Oh, shit. I guess I kind of do gravitate toward it being more straightforward. Um, just because I, I guess that's the kind of person I am. I like to have things just like thrown at me uh, mm-hmm. instead of having to go look for it. Now, granted, um, I, I do really enjoy open world games like, like Skyrim and like Fallout, um, where I have the option to go and to, especially in Skyrim, to go and look for other bits of lore. Um, but I, yeah, I think for the most part, I, I like to have the, the story just, I guess, handed to me, but that's not really the, the words I'm looking for, if, sure. if that makes sense. Yeah, don't, don't think that I'm ratting on you for, for feeling that way. I was just kind of my, my own curiosity because I feel like, you know, more modern games that have come out in the last decade or so have, have pushed for that more of a, a very straightforward storytelling. And I was kind of curious as someone who grew up almost exclusively with that, you know, you know what your preference would be and it, it could very come down to just personal preference or it could be an age gap thing i was just kind of curious but i, I think it's, See, it's totally viable i i personally probably prefer games that uh that push a structured order too um just maybe because i don't have enough time to sit and spend yeah that's another thing. 80 to 90 hours on a game sometimes and i mean you know like portal portal's a six hour playthrough but it is a magical six hours you know um, yeah, one of the games that I got to a little bit these last, uh, this last week or two is I've been trying to get in some time with the, uh, the, uh, Call of Duty Infinite Warfare single player mode, um, because, I'm um, so sorry. the idea of playing, um, shh, um, 
space first person shooters and stuff is obviously very appealing to me and it's one of the only reasons that i um dipped my toes back into the uh call of duty world um and it's very it's very you know very directed very here's the things that we're doing you know and it's it's very cinematic it shoves you right into plot point to plot point to major you know graphical event things are exploding you know you're you're shooting a couple people in between the the process of of conveying you through these explosive scenes of of awesome things happening um and that's okay i mean it's it's definitely it's a different type of game um but uh it, it takes it takes much less time to play um i mean i guess i feel like in some cases i've been through most of you know a lot of the experiences of like your your open world game environment um and i don't know how much any given game adds to that whereas each each directed story is a story that you play yeah i think i think so you make a really good point you know the most people i mean i've met people that don't even know call of duty has single like a single player campaign. This is the first single player campaign I've tried to play through for it, Call of Duty, and it's like it's, my sixth Call of Duty game. It's so, actually yeah. I, I, like so. The first one, like a like I actually just replayed uh, not Infinite Warfare, but uh, gosh, uh, Advanced War, Warfare Black Ops. You know, from what two two years ago, probably. Um, that is like when, when the PS4 first came out. It was one of the marquee marquee games that came out with it. The first person. Uh, campaign in there like you said it's it's maybe eight hours of gameplay maybe but it's it was incredibly well done it, it and and now it is on rails absolutely just like you said and you do move phase to phase to phase and you you're basically watching the story happen around you and you're you're fighting through certain parts of it like in the action scenes and i would tell you that, that you know when it's done well it's really good I, like i thought that the the one I just played, you know, that, that one I played was excellent. It had the top A-list actors in it and actresses in it. Um, you know, it, they look good. They feel good. All the cinematics are really good. The story was in, was pretty engaging. It's like, yeah, I'd probably go watch that in a movie. Or like that would be like something I would expect to see in a movie. You know, that kind of thing. Like this, the story elements. So that is a viable way to do it, actually, I think. And it's in a game, effectively, that is you could clearly say is absolutely not about a story. It's literally about multiplayer gameplay and, you know, kind of dynamic FPS play. Uh, but there, but there's a pretty viable story mode in that, in that world. And I, I think Mass Effect actually does fall into this category as well. Um, you know, I, I, I feel like if we focus on this being Call of Duty, um, you know, ask to have this, this directed story mode, um, you know, it's it's maybe a little too easy to take pot shots at it because it's Call of Duty. Um, but I mean, Mass Effect is very much the same way. You you kind of you know come across an area of half height walls, and you know you're about to enter you're about to enter a combat area, and so you duck down undercover and you shoot some people, and then you move on into the next story area, and you start re you know you collect things and get pulled into little story cinematics and stuff. And and you know, Mass Effect it has more has more choices call of duty really as far as i i know doesn't seem to what you do in the game does not really matter you're just playing through it um and and mass effect really tries to get those those story options to affect how the the outcome of the story plays out um but it is still very much a, a very directed story mode game that that brings you through you know from a to b to c to d um until you get through the you know to the end of the game 
Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. They, they kind of have a bit of a hybrid because you have, you know, those, those two or three moments in particular in the Mass Effect games in each one of the games where there's, where like, you know, one of your NPCs will live or die, you know, that kind of thing. There, there's, but it, you're right. It's definitely, you know, the story is the story. Now, how you get to the end state of the story, that might vary a little bit. You might have some, some ultimate changes there, but I, I was, as I'm kind of thinking through this, like you, you could go and find, like, I'm looking at it right now. If you look up like the Skyrim wikis, like the, the Wikipedia's for that, or the, like the elder scrolls wikis, like it is, a phenomenal amount of background and context work that goes into some of these games. Like, I mean, it's literally, you know, it'd be like rule book upon rule book or player hand guide or, or whatever um, with, with artwork attached, you know, that fleshes out some pretty elaborate, you know, ideas and histories in some of these games that probably a large percent of players never even see. Yeah, to me, I think that's the best part, especially in something like like Elder Scrolls, uh, for example. I I find myself just going on uh, to the uh, was it like the unofficial Elder Scrolls wiki page or whatever the fuck it's called, and just clicking on the the first link and just reading that shit. Um, I think for me personally, I mean, I'm on the internet anyway. I think that's a, a much more um, I don't know easier way, I guess, for me to to consume uh, my lore. Um, for for at least an open world game, than going off and, and and doing the quests. No, I could. I mean, I could totally understand where that's coming from. I mean, I I, I really do. It's if if the quests are built in such a way that it's designed to reveal or give you these tidbits uh, in a more open way or in a more direct way, I think that that might be kind of cool. But that's definitely not how. Um, you know, that is definitely not how it's it's built for you know, like uh, Skyrim, so to speak, or, or even really Elder Scrolls in particular. I will say this, though, like um, a lot of times, like even in like the Call of Duty games or and Mass Effect, if you fish around in your like captain's quarters or your base or whatever, and you find like your your like home base computer. Uh, so I did this with the Call of Duty game. Uh, and there was, as I progressed through the story, I was amazed at how much backstory and content stuff is was jam packed into into some of the things you could you could just find around your base, uh, and in some of the collectibles and the descriptions of the collectibles, it was um, very surprising. I would say that because it's you know again, COD is not known for you know that's not a thing they're known for, but it's a really really deep story world that they had that they had built, uh, and it actually it did it did actually uh, you know augment the gameplay. It it truly made it made it better they kind of do that in multiplayer too like if you go and i don't know how much of the multiplayer you've played in in black ops 3 i know they did this um if you go into the multiplayer and you go to where you pick your specialist that you're going to use for a mat um the way you pick them they they lay out these cards and if you you can flip over the card um and it'll tell you a little bit of background information on the specialists and um like there's a, a transmission you can listen to it there's two transmissions and it, it kind of shows, you know, how, okay, this specialist interacted with this other specialist, and this is how they're connected, uh, which is kind of cool. I, it, 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 it interested me, I guess, when, when I saw that. Oh, that's pretty cool. 
Yeah, so I mean, there's there's a lot of different options for for storytelling, and, and obviously a lot of good examples of, of all kinds. I mean, it's not just uh, limited to the two that, that we kind of brought up here. So, you know, it, it is interesting stuff. And I, I'm always curious to see how new game developers and new games will will approach their story and how it's delivered. And I think it's always a a good thing and a good point of of uh, discussion for when a new game comes out that is so story driven so uh, let us know in the comments i'm kind of curious in people's thoughts and on, on what they prefer and you know what they like in, in their games and in what they hope that more games would focus more on so let us know in our comments and we, we'd love to hear your feedback uh we are getting pretty close to the end here we're a little long on time uh i'm gonna have bait go over real quick um kind of the free games that are come out for xbox this uh this month um he's gonna be kind of be playing through a couple of those reviewing them i'll probably do the ps4 ones um i'll go over those next week uh but bait do you want to go over those real quick for us yeah yeah real quick um so right now um if you boot up your xbox you can get uh, layers of fear which is a um, i've never heard of it. it's a horror game apparently so um, I will be playing it and streaming it for probably 45 minutes, screaming and uninstalling it and never playing it again. Um, it's a, <laughs> the description says it's a, like a psychedelic horror, and I am a sucker for anything psychedelic, whether it be psychedelic art or psychedelic music. So I will, I will be uh, playing that for 45 minutes. Um, then you got uh, Evolve. Uh, that would be the, the 4v1, uh, I don't know, Arena Monster Hunter game, I guess. Um, so you have yeah, one person yeah. playing as the monster, and then three people uh, as the hunter trying to either kill or capture it. Great idea. Horribly executed. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll talk about that one when you play, because I, I have a lot of experience with that game. That was fantastic, fantastic. Um, and then we get Borderlands 2, so I don't need to say much about that. It's fucking Borderlands. Go play it. Play with some friends. Um, and then, what's the last one? <sighs> Heavy weapon. I don't see it described. Never heard of this game either. I've that's the description for it. So, um, if I had to guess, it's a little indie third-person shooter. Um, so, yep. And Project Cars is still available until the middle of the month, if I'm not mistaken. So it's a racing game. Hey, fuck that racing game, dude. It started me off in go karts. Fuck go karts, man. It's the hardest <laughs> thing to drive. All right, so yeah, we'll 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 get uh, some some of those those free games played, and we'll we'll do reviews each week. Uh, we'll play alternate back and forth between me and Bates, uh, and anyone else who hops on the, the the weekly game, and we'll we'll do a quick review on that. So if you do want to pick up a few free games, we can let you know if it's worth your time or not. So that's something we're going to try to do moving forward. Uh, but yeah, so we're pretty long on time, so let's go into shoutouts, guys. Um, you know, just uh, starting at the top of the list with Zell. Shoutouts, man. Yeah, um, I'm giving a shout out to uh, my Chinese restaurants subtle way of shaming you for for your order. Um, before before the podcast, I, uh, I I did pick up some Chinese food from the place that's basically right behind my house. Um, and you know, I place the order just for myself, of course. And uh, so when they when they give you the package, because usually you get about as many fortune cookies as they expect your meal to be, and they gave me three fortune cookies, and I'm like, this is this is just for me. It wasn't even that much food. <laughs> But but clearly they thought they think my order was for three people or so because they gave me three fortune cookies. That's my shout out. Just a just a, a a large like broccoli beef thing. It comes with some rice, of course, and that's it. Center sweet and sour chicken every time. Overrated. Okay. <laughs> All right, uh, bait. Shout out to you, man. Okay, yeah, a couple of things. Um, so recently my mom started getting into this essential oil bullshit. I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. Man, that thing is a damn cult. But, and maybe this is a placebo effect. I had a headache earlier today. She put some of that 
like is fucking peppermint, some frankincense. I think she rubbed that shit on my forehead, and I don't have a headache. So that was kind of weird. Um, what else? I had another thing. Oh, right. Um, no, no, no. I didn't have another thing. Never mind. That's it. All right, uh, Jake. Uh, two shout outs. One to Dr. Robert Zabo, who has recently released a, a medical study that says cracking your knuckles isn't bad. In fact, in- increases the joint laxity and uh, lowers pressure on the internal oh, parts of the joints. Oh, come on. So, in, in another please. year or two, there's going to be another another study by someone else who says it's bad. And then a year after that, someone's going to make a study that says, no, it's not bad for you. This is all medical studies. This, this is why I, I had my shout out. The way I did, just so I could try to list that reaction for all of you in podcast land. And then part two, I would like to give a shout out to the uh, the nameless young lady that was driving the white uh, Ford Taurus that tried to block in my Jeep today uh, in, in an unnamed parking lot of an unnamed location in an unnamed city. I am sorry that you could not move your vehicle fast enough and that you got monster trucked a little bit. Because you wouldn't move after I asked you three times. My bad. Sorry. I apologize to her. You don't owe her anything. Not a damn thing. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, And my shout out is going to go to a YouTuber by the name of Mark Brown. Uh, His YouTube channel is MrBacon1337. Don't let the name fool you. He has a series called Game Maker's Toolkit. It's basically a series that he goes over um, either a particular element or a game design for your philosophy um, with a lot of examples. Extremely well produced. If you're into, you know, uh, design theory or just game design in general, absolutely fantastic channel. There's tons of videos, very well produced. Uh, he's got a great voice, so it's easy to listen to for long periods of time because I, I, I think I binge listened his videos at work for like three days straight. It was great. Um, And he also has a series called Boss Keys where he goes into pretty in-depth analysis regarding the level design for uh, Legend of Zelda dungeons. Uh, Like each and every one, like the mobile ones, the desktop ones, all of them. Yeah, it's it's all incredibly good stuff. I, I really do suggest you check it out. We'll get a link in the description, but it is Mark Brown Game Maker's Toolkit on YouTube. Fantastic stuff. You should go check it out. And um, yeah, absolutely second that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, that being said, I think we're bringing this one in for a close. I want to thank everyone for for listening to us. If again, as usual, if you have any topics you want us to cover, if you want to come on the show and talk about it, let us know. You can contact us at contact us via our website at biomass.net, or you can hit up uh, hit us up on Twitter. All that information is on the website. Just let us know. We'll be more than happy to try and accommodate you. Uh, that being said, everyone have a great night and be safe. See ya. <laughs>